Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 205 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about intentional, eco-friendly, and minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing how to right-size your budget, how to reduce impulse purchases, how to get debt under control, and how to still have fun and enjoy life while you're at it. Today, I am speaking with Erica Young. Erica is a financial coach and best-selling author and she's here to help us consciously not keep up with the Joneses in a culture that glorifies spending more than we have. Now, I should say, if after you listen to this episode, you feel empowered and excited to trim the fat from your household budget, so to speak, please listen to the end of the show, the outro, because I'm offering up exactly how my husband and I seek to keep our budget under control month after month. Erica, I am so thrilled to speak to you today. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, again, I should say I'm super excited to talk to you. And that's because my listeners write to me all the time about reining in impulse purchases, getting finances under control, et cetera, et cetera, in a culture that glorifies spending and makes impulse purchases so darn easy. So we're going to talk about right-sizing our budget. But before we do... I have to know, what does it mean to you to right-size a household budget? Well, that's a really good way to put it. Right-sizing implies that 
we're probably doing it wrong, <laughs> right? Like, so right sizing means making sure that you're doing it right from here forward. And what I would say to that is make certain that you know what is right for you. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't look at what other folks are doing. It is so valuable to know how you currently spend, what the needs of your household are, and don't worry about what other folks are doing. And I say that because I think we do spend based upon what other people are doing. And we don't like to admit that, but there is definitely adult peer pressure. And so I want to make sure that people understand that we can get away from looking at what other people are doing and get very clear on what we're doing. The other thing, when I think about right-sizing, is sometimes it's upside down. It literally is like our priorities are at the end of our budget. So if you're looking to save money, why are you waiting until the end of the month to figure out how much you can save? Let's do the saving at the beginning of the month or as soon as you get paid, immediately move money into a savings account. Because if inevitably, if you wait two weeks to put that money in savings, it's going to be less. You are already anticipating spending less because you're concerned about putting it in savings and then having to pull it back out for something. So right sizing to me means doing the highest priority, most important things at the top of the month, at the top of the budget, at the beginning of when you get paid so that you can see how that's going to affect your goals versus you know, spending money, not having a game plan. And then at the end of the month, you're like, oh my gosh, I only have a hundred dollars now to save. When at the beginning, I probably could have saved $500 if I had not made these other choices. So let's be intentional. And that's what I think right-sizing your budget needs to look like. Yeah. Your statement there makes me, brings me back to my childhood where my mother would always say, pay yourself first, right? Which means get your paycheck, take a certain percentage out and put it straight into savings. Yeah. And it also applies for getting out of debt, for instance. It also applies for saving for a vacation. It also applies for when you have holidays and you're trying to do gift giving and those things are important. Those things need to come first instead of waiting until after you spent three times going to Chick-fil-A unnecessarily, right? So our money will go wherever we tell it to go. And sometimes I think we are timid in actually giving our money a place to go. We've got to be intentional. So I know you work with clients on an individual basis about getting their budget under control and reining in the impulse purchases. And that's really what I want to talk to you about because I alluded to it earlier. It is so darn easy to spend more than you intended in 2021. Swipe right and it'll be here in two days. I think that the buying issue, the impulse buying issue is much more complicated than sleep on it. So how do you help your clients with their impulse purchasing? Yeah. The very first thing is to actually add it all up. That is a reality check. So it's like looking in the mirror and seeing if you like what you see and if not, what needs to change, right? So we wake up in the morning And we look in the mirror and we say, oh my goodness, I got to wash my face. I need to brush my teeth. I need to take a shower. You know what I mean? And we realize that there's something we can do to like wake ourselves up and look a little better. We've got to do that with our finances. We have to look at it. And I think the thing that people avoid most 
is adding up their expenses and what they have actually done. So I, I say, go back and look at the previous month and see how much you spent on dining out, how much you've spent on, you know, Amazon specifically or on shopping and get a total. And then some of the questions to ask yourself, one, am I okay with this? Is this what I thought? Maybe the third question that you ask yourself is, is this in align with, alignment with my value system? Like, is this what I really want to be happening? Some people would rather give their money to an organization versus spending, you know, $200 dining out. And so that might be a value for them that is out of alignment. Um, and then also, are you reaching your goals? Is this helping you reach your goals? So that's why I say, do those goals, those priorities at the top, at the beginning, as soon as money comes in. And then it honestly makes it a little bit more challenging for you to spend money on things that don't matter as much to you. So add it up, face it, and then ask yourself a few questions to see, okay, what can I do differently? And then finally, make a decision on what you actually are going to spend. Because I can't tell people, and I don't think that it's realistic to say no dining out will happen ever. That's not realistic, right? But you can monitor how often you are going out to eat and how much you're spending each time. And so maybe instead of going out three times a week, you bring it down to one time a week. It's not deprivation. It's just monitoring it so that you can do the other things that you want to do. So as I'm listening to your response there, which I'm totally on board with, I totally should sit down with my husband and look at the budget, but I can be totally transparent and honest with you when I say that I don't want to do that because I know it's going to be uncomfortable and I know it's going to be an awkward and perhaps tense conversation. So what do you say to listeners listening right now who know that they need to sit down, look at the budget, figure out where their money is really going, but are avoiding it because they know it's not going to be pretty? Do you have any words of encouragement or tips for them? Yeah. Well, it I'm going to just say it is scary. Like doing the work doesn't mean you're not doing it scared. So it is scary, but I don't want that to stop you from actually doing the work. But you can put in safeguards around yourself. So maybe you like chocolate. Make sure you got some chocolate or a candy bar or some Hershey's Kisses. Maybe you need a glass of wine. Maybe you need some mood music. Maybe you actually need to have a candle burning or something, create a space, an environment where you can relax. And then maybe if you're with a partner, you say, hey, you know what, here are some ground rules. Like we need to do this. I just want to make certain that, you know, maybe we take 10 minutes or 15 or 20 minutes, whatever it is, and look at these things together. And I want to make certain that there's no judgment. So sometimes you have to lay out ground rules in order to create a safe space as well. The other thing that I would say is, Don't do this just because someone told you to. I think you have to ask yourself the question, how badly do I want a different financial future? And the budget, facing your spending, having this reality check is going to help you get there. And so I would argue that if it is more scary to look at your current finances, ask yourself the question, How scary would it be if you did nothing? And what would your future look like if you continue to spend as you currently are? Goal needs to be so big and so important to you that it's scarier to not achieve that goal than it is for you to make adjustments today. 
So the common wisdom suggests that if you don't have a budget currently, you sit down with your partner if you have a partner and you create one, income on one side, expenses on the other, and track your spending. However, my husband and I don't do that anymore. We actually use an app, and I'm going to talk about it in the outro to the show. But sitting down with the partner and having that awkward conversation is usually not fun. Is there any way to make that budget creation conversation more enjoyable? Well, honestly, I think the person who has a leaning to personal finance, who actually feels so much more secure knowing the numbers should lead the effort. And so let me get specific. I'm a nerd. And um, I'm the one who enjoys looking at numbers. Obviously, I've chosen this as my profession for the last 16 years. My husband wants to see headlines. He's interested only to the point where it's like, okay, I want to make sure we're still on target, that kind of thing. And so it it's probably not for him fun at all to get into the budget and to look at all of those details. So I do most of it because that is not his gifting or his interest for that matter. And for me, I start, you know, getting annoyed and frustrated with myself if I've gone too long without having done it. So I say, know your strengths and make sure that the person who is leans more in that arena is the one who's leading the effort. And then the other thing is making it fun. I think we need to take a step back Sometimes the very first conversation is not the reality check. Sometimes the very first conversation is, let's dream. Let's figure out what it is that we want. Let's let's see where we can come into agreement. What do we want to see a year from now? And don't even look at the numbers. That that numbers conversation comes after you've decided what your goals are, your priorities are, what's going to make you smile, what's going to help you get up and go to work in the morning. Those are the fun conversations to begin with. And then you're like, okay, so how do we create that? That's where you start looking at the budget. So the fun conversation probably needs to come first where you're dreaming dreaming about what it is you want your finances or your future to look like. Mm, that's a really good point. I know in my own life that when my husband and I are on the same page and we are working together towards a shared goal, a trip or a family experience, let's say, we are not on opposite sides of the table, <laughs> literally and figuratively, Right. Now let's get into the numbers though of the budget. Do you have specific and rigid percentages? Like how much should we be saving every month percentage-wise? How much should go to food? Mm-hmm. It it honestly depends. My business is called Tailor-Made Budgets because every household is unique and every budget ought to be as well. I can give you guidelines. One of the biggest ones where we spend most of our money is on our residence, you know, the place where we lay our head at night. And so for lots of people, this is their biggest expense in terms of a mortgage or rent. And if we start here and say that should be no more than 35% of your income, that's a great place to say, okay, great. One third and no more than that on housing, that kind of thing. When it comes down to saving, I mean, It's lovely to give 10%, save 10% for yourself, 80% is what you live on. That would be lovely, but lots of people are in debt. So sometimes there's a disproportionate amount going towards getting out of debt so that you can free up that cash to do 
all of the other things. So I actually like to look at it as steps. First, get a little baby emergency fund. If you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, I'm a big fan. I'm one of his coaches. And you, you know, get a baby emergency fund of $1,000 in the bank, then pay off all of your debt, all extra money. I mean, you potentially, depending on your income, you could be putting 50% of your income towards debt repayment to get out of debt and be done in a year or two. And then you're saving aggressively towards your three to six months. And then you're saving for retirement up to 15% of your income. And so while you're in debt, sometimes these percentages are a little out of whack. You know what I mean? Because you're really trying to pay off debt. For my husband and I, when we were trying to get out of our nearly $100,000 in debt, I mean, there were times when we were doubling up on our student loans to get them paid off. I mean, instead of paying $400, we were paying, you know, $1,000 to get out of debt. And so that percentage was, you know, way more than it, it ought to have been. But it's because we were serious about trying to make sure that that did not come back to bite us later. And so just know that, you know, when you're trying to reach a goal, sometimes you're putting a whole lot more money towards that goal. And that's okay for that season. Mm, you're totally right. The season of life that you're in dictates where you allocate your money, right? Erica, we're going to pivot for one quick minute. We're going to talk less about right-sizing our budgets. I do want to talk to you about getting out of debt, and we're going to talk about that next. But first, I want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is getting control of the anger and irritability in parenthood. And when daily life in my household goes off the rails, I must say, it's sad but true, my first impulse is to raise my voice. But happier moms raise happier kids. So I want to pause and I want to tell everyone that, yes, Mama Zen is sponsoring this week's episode, but yes, also Mama Zen has helped me immensely in my life. Mama Zen has helped me control my negative emotions so I can parent my daughters with more love. And the best part is, I don't have to do it every day to see results. Sessions are only two to 15 minutes long. So the app really fits seamlessly in with my hectic and crazy life. Listeners, if you are experiencing anger or impatience or irritability in parenthood, you need this app. Go to your app store on Android or iOS, download the Mama Zen app. I'm going to spell that out for you. It's M-A-M-A-Z-E-N. Use promo code Stephanie and get full free access for 30 days. All right, Erica, thank you for pausing. Let's talk about getting out of debt. How on earth do we get out of debt and still have fun? Debt comes in many forms. It can be your car payment. It could be student loans. It could be credit card debt. I could go on and on, and I'm willing to bet so many of us have some debt. So my first question for you, Erica, when we're talking about debt is, can we successfully get out of debt, but still have fun and enjoy our life? Always have fun. Always, always. So on my website, it says beat debt and enjoy the journey. You know, we, we I want you to dump debt, but you can also have fun while you're doing it. So Here's the thing. If you never put fun in, if you never enjoy yourself, if you never dine out, if you never go on a vacation and you're trying to get out of debt, what happens is at some point you're going to be sick and tired of doing that. And sometimes you're going to just throw all caution to the wind and maybe reverse some of the progress that you've made. So I'd rather plan for fun than to assume it's not going to happen while you get out of debt. My family, when we were getting out of debt, we drove, we were able to 
at that time drive just six hours to California. And we went and took our kids to Legoland or to Disneyland. And we had lunch in our car because lunch in the park is so expensive. And we had dinner outside the park as well. And we had snacks or treats or whatever inside, but we saved money that way. And so we didn't deprive ourselves. We just did it differently so that we could do it with cash and not come home with a bunch of debt. The answer doesn't always have to be no on the fun stuff. It really is about how much you're doing and how often you're doing it and how it's adding to or taking away from your overall big picture. I think you really just hit the nail on the head there, right? This conversation's less about what percentages do you put onto your budget for your different categories and more about reaching your savings goals and also still having fun and enjoying your life because life is meant to be enjoyed, right? And so I loved your example about going to the theme park but eating lunch in your car. You're still having fun, but you're not going overboard. I'm just curious, are there any other ways in your life in which you prioritize fun, but (laughs) fun without going overboard? Yeah, absolutely. So I've done staycations where we do a hotel that is, you know, within driving distance, less than an hour away. And it's, a, you know, we don't have a pool. So it's nice to just go to a hotel that's a little bit nicer and have a pool and have a moment away. Going to museums that are free. Love that. I did that a lot when my kids were younger. Nowadays, some of the fun stuff is really now that we have a dog, being able to take him to different parks and just seeing... I think we we undervalue some of the things that we can do for free for fun, first of all. And so I think that we need to reinvigorate some of that and and look at the things that don't cost us anything. I'm actually right now planning to, for my birthday, spending some time at a sunflower park, which is something I've never done. And so I'm like, this will be cool, something different. And that all it is, is walking through a, a little patch of sunflowers, taking pictures and all that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes simple is truly better. I love, you know, sharing books with people, um, having book clubs where you pass them around. I love resales and my daughter's a thrifter. She loves thrift. So sure, she gets new clothes from the store, but she also goes to, to Goodwill. I love donations and things like that. And so I think we have to expand what fun and shopping and all of that looks like. And then I love coupons too. I think that couponing, not being excessive, not an extreme couponer necessarily, but knowing that you're getting a deal and and that you're able to save a little bit of money and still get what you need is also a part of the plan too. So being reasonable, I think is so, so important because sometimes the debt, out, the, the getting out of debt journey is not one year, maybe it's a couple of years and you don't want to be in a place where you feel like you can't enjoy yourself for that amount of time. Yeah, something you said there really resonated with me, and it's when you were speaking about your birthday at the Sunflower Garden, right? You're making a point there that shouldn't need to be said, but perhaps does need to be said in 2021, where our consumerist culture is always pushing spend, spend, spend. And that's that we don't need to spend money to have fun. (laughs) Like a board game, having a board game tournament is to me a lot of fun or having movie night, or going for a walk in the woods. These are all free ways to still enjoy life. And this is a Simple Living podcast. My listeners know already that you don't need to spend money necessarily to have fun. 
So I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but earlier you had mentioned don't compare yourself with others or your financial situation with other with others around you. I totally agree with that advice, but I would say that in practice, it's really darn hard to follow. I don't want my kids to miss out. I want them to have all the experiences and all the fun as we've been talking about. And so even though I consciously know that comparing myself with my neighbors or others in my social circle isn't doing me any good, I wonder if subconsciously I'm still doing it. I'm still trying to keep up with the Joneses. So do you have any thoughts or words of wisdom with regard to the comparison factor as it relates to our budgets? Yeah, that is a very real and important conversation. And I'll touch on it. I think it is it is going to require some personal reflection too. So one, the first thing is the neighborhood you live in. Like literally the choice that we've made and where we are there is something that is required of you, right? So one of the the ways just on the surface level that in our neighborhood is the lawn, just keeping up with the lawn, the maintenance. And if we don't do it, then somebody's got to do it because the homeowners association is going to send you a letter if your lawn is not well kept. And that you almost have no choice because of where you decided to live. And so choice in where you live is the first one living in an affluent neighborhood, you've made the choice that this is a part of your life, that the physical outward a part of it. Having said that, I mean, I'm not telling people to move out of where they are, <laughs> but but all of these decisions lead to that comparison, right? Or the need to keep up uh, because it is there. And so just know that that's a part of that that puzzle. But I think modeling before your kids what's important is huge important hugely important. So w- one of the things that we did is we said first of all it's for us it it matters a lot that our kids are involved but it it doesn't matter to me that they are in everything. And so we said pick a sport, pick a thing. Don't pick five. When you don't have time for that, you, your studies come first and financially it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? So we wanted them to figure out what their thing was and they each did. And so that was great. And then we can focus our efforts on that one thing, um, not 12. And I think that that helps when we're shopping for our kids or for ourselves. We give ourselves a budget, you know, back to school shopping is a certain dollar amount. Now that my kids are older, we've been able to just hand them money and say, hey, you go do this. This is all that you have. And it forces them to make decisions. And sometimes the decisions that they make are, we're going to go to thrifting. And then I'm going to get this one or two new sweaters or one pair of pants and they are good. They realize that once the money is in their hand, it's not unlimited and they spend way less. Um, The other thing is, I mentioned this before, is know your value system. Like what makes you tick? What makes you move? What gets you excited? And usually it's not stuff. So um, my husband likes nice things, and that means that sometimes the things that he likes are more expensive. What we've done is you put a either an annual dollar amount on it or a monthly dollar amount on whatever it is that's important or of value to you. But the things that are not of value, that's not a part of it, right? And so when we're looking at what other people are doing, if that does, if that's not a part of our value system or what we're up to, we've got to you know suppress 
um, say no to and be consistent with that in the things that are not important. We value travel, but we really don't care about all of the activities being at all the sporting events and things of that nature. And so we have to recognize that if you're out of, if you're spending money on things just because someone else is doing it, it's not in, in alignment with your value system. And I think getting clear on what that is, is really, really important. And it helps for the parents to know that because the kids will follow suit. What, in your opinion, are three tips, or I guess a better word would be action steps. What are three action steps that listeners can take right now to right-size their budget? The very first thing is to have that really important dream or goals conversation. Um, that's the fun one. That's the one that makes you smile, that that doesn't you know make your heart race. Definitely do that first and then do the reality check where you're looking at the numbers and you're facing that, but create a space where you can do that and and feel comfortable that that you can complete it. And then also don't feel like you've got to do it all in one day. I think that's the other thing is maybe you spend 20 minutes this day and maybe you spend another 20 minutes another day in order to get those things done. And then the other thing is, sure, you have to get down to business and write things down and, and commit to a plan of action, but give yourself grace. None of us are perfect. Absolutely none of us are perfect. And I think sometimes we we think if we're going to be on a budget, we've got to do it perfectly, or I'm not ready, or I don't make enough money. It's never going to be the right time. It's never going to be perfect. Um, I would love it, you know, as a budget coach for the last 16 years, if it always worked out perfectly, but life doesn't fit into my spreadsheet so nicely all the time. And so um, give yourself some grace, know that you're going to make some mistakes and you're not going to always do it exactly the way you wish that you had. And that's okay as well. And if you go into it, knowing that it's going to be easier when you face things that are going to potentially take you off track. So give yourself some grace. (laughs) Before we say goodbye, Erica, I want you to please tell my listeners where they can find you and TaylorMade Budgets online, all that good stuff. Yeah, so my business is TaylorMade Budgets, and you can find me on the web, www.taylormadebudgets, and that's T-A-I-L-O-R, so it's TaylorMade for you, um, budgets.com. You can also get onto um, sevendaymoneychallenge.com. And that's a free way to engage with me. I have a video every day for one week. And that's one small change that you can make in order to improve your finances. And that's seven, the number seven daymoneychallenge.com and engage with me as well. That will get you on my newsletter. And then you can find me on Instagram, TaylorMate Budgets. You can find me on LinkedIn, Erica Young, lots of places to find me and uh, connect. I'm going to add all of your details to this week's show notes for any listeners who don't have a pen and paper handy right now. But Erica, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You've given me a lot to think about and a lot that I can implement in my own life. So thank you so much. You are welcome. Such a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for having me. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Erica Young of TaylorMade Budgets. I've linked to her in this week's show notes, her business, her online presences at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 205. Now, in my conversation with Erica today, what really stuck out for me was her reiteration that 
Right-sizing your home's budget, even though it's difficult, can pay dividends because doing so leads to a richer life. And yes, I added so many puns there, and I'm super proud of them. (laughs) The tool that my husband and I use is an app called Wallet, and it's by Budget Bakers. We use it on iOS, but I do believe it's available for Android as well. And oh my goodness, we love this app. (laughs) We love it for a few reasons. The first reason is really important to my husband and I, and that's that they don't sell my data, as opposed to a lot of the other budget and finance apps that are out there. Mint is a big one. It's really important to us that our data doesn't get sold. Now, another reason we love this app is for practical reasons. It enables family sharing on the premium plan. And so that means that my husband doesn't have to ask me where that $50 went because the answer is right there for him in the transaction records area of the app on his phone. So if you use a shared calendar to keep your family's social life and obligations under control and understood so you're not overbooking, the family sharing part of the app works exactly the same way. It keeps you all on the same page. And then for me personally, the part of the wallet app that makes the most sense is the planned payments feature. So my husband tends to be the person in our household who gets the bills paid on time. But in this app, I can see very clearly, it's day and night, how much we currently have in our checking account and how much is planned to go out the door once our monthly bills are paid. I really appreciate and enjoy this black and white transparency about where the money is, but also how much of it's going out the door. So if we have $100 in checking, but $90 of it is going to our monthly bills, like our mortgage and like food, I actually don't have $100 in the checking account, right? I maybe only have $10 to spend. We don't use the budgeting feature of the app as much as we should, But I should mention that if you are on a strict budget or if Erica gave you the motivation today to get on a strict budget, you can get very specific in your budgeting categories on the Wallet app. So you can find the Wallet app, you can find Erica, you can find everything we talked about today in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 205. I will see you on Thursday for our regularly scheduled episode in which I am answering a listener's question. See you then. Reach out to me if you have questions and take care.